The following audio is from Community Bible Church in Nashville, Tennessee. For more information about our church, please visit us online at cbcnashville.org. Well, thanks, guys. You can have a seat. Well, prior to, prior to praying, I just want to let you guys know what I'll be praying for. Um, this has been on my heart this week. School is starting back, which means students... You guys have an opportunity to take Christ to a place where really only you can take Christ. That is to your friends and to your neighbors and to your classmates and to your teachers. And I know there's even teachers in our midst. And teachers, you have an opportunity to take Christ where only you can take Christ. That is your teachers. And um, regardless of whichever type of school you're going to, public or private or homeschool, this is a moment when we, as the church, get to be ambassadors for Christ. And so I want to pray this morning as we open up that um, this school year, as we're launching upon this kind of break in seasons and, and, and change of times, that we can be reminded of the opportunity that we have. And I'll also do this, even if you're not in school, adults, workers, uh, this is our opportunity to be reminded that regardless of where we go, if you are in Christ, you have the opportunity to be an ambassador for Christ. And so uh, the Lord can use you in amazing ways by impacting um, individuals that I can't get to or that the elders can't get to or that any, any uh, other pastors can't get to, but, but you can because you know them and you have a relationship with those people. So I'm going to pray that the Lord would use all of us to uh, proclaim his name to our neighbors and to our friends um, and uh, to the city. So with that, let's pray and then we can jump into the word. Lord, your grace is amazing. Um, even as we got to hear that from the, from the um, waters of baptism from Reese. Just to see that uh, even a child among us can place their faith in you. And at that moment, they can have the, the full weight of assurance that they've been reconciled to you. That they are in Christ. That they are good with God. That, that Reese is a, is, is a brother in Christ. Thank you for that. Lord, I also pray this, this season in life as um, it, it, we're adjusting from summer, going to uh, the, the school year. For many of us, that means it's a shifting of schedules, that it, it means that kids are going back to school or, or kids will begin to, to um, do their education. Lord, I pray that you would use us. You would use this small body to impact Nashville, to impact our friends our family, our classmates, our students, our coworkers, those people that we come in contact with. Lord, I pray that our lives would, would emulate the, the grace and the truth that you have given us. I pray that we would be ambassadors for you, that people would look at us, as First Peter says, and they would wonder what's, what's different about us, and that that would cause them to ask us questions, but ultimately that would cause us to proclaim your name. Lord, I pray that you would just give us the boldness and the clarity to speak truth in, into the darkness. Lord, I pray this morning as we get to look at your word that you'd be with me. Give me clarity that you would be with us, that you would reveal your truth to us from your word. And in your son's name, amen. Well, I would encourage you to turn to the, the gospel of John. We're going to be continuing in our study in chapter 7. And kids, there are going to be some questions that I have for you, so you're going to get to talk out loud at the appropriate moments. That's the important part here. And I have a question for you to start us off. If your sibling were to walk in your room 
and demand and say, you have to clean this up, what would be your first response? What would you say if your sibling said it? Who says? Yes, Erlene, you're, you're spot on. Who says I've got to clean it up? And the question behind that is, if you're telling me I have to clean it up, are you, are you going to clean it up? No, because you don't listen to your sibling. They're not your authority. They're not in charge of you. You're not going to obey them. But what if your sibling walked in the room and said, Mom or Dad says you have to clean up your room? Now, you still might say who says, and that's wrong. But what you should say is, okay, I'm going to obey. You see, when we hear information that we don't like, when we hear a command, when we, when we receive an um, a, uh, a objective to, to do, and we don't like it, the first thing we want to do, kids and parents, is question or criticize the source. When we hear information that we don't like or doesn't seem natural or normal, we immediately jump to questioning the source of that information. You see, adults, just think about it. If we hear something we don't like, what's the first thing we try to do? Well, we're going to try to discredit the source. I don't want to believe that's true. I don't want to follow that law. I don't want to do that thing. So by any means necessary, we're going to prove that the command or the source is not something that we can follow. Now, why do I start there? Last week, we looked at the why behind this section in John. Really, I was unpacking. Why is it that John, of all of the places that Jesus went, of all the things that he said, of all the moments of his teaching, why is John taking uh, chapters 7 through 10 of the Gospel of John to focus in on an eight-day period here at the Feast of Booths? And what we said was, is that this is a clear moment when Jesus sets himself apart from the religious culture of the day. And what Jesus reveals during this feast, and John must have thought that he is revealing it in the best way possible, is that uh, the kingdom of God is coming through Christ, through himself. And so Jesus, the whole time here, is setting himself opposed to the world and opposed to the religion of the day and is pointing to something else. Now, if you can think back again to last week, we looked at two cities or two kingdoms. You could kind of use this interchangeably. The two cities were the city of God or this, and the city of man, or the kingdoms. It's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. And with, regardless of which kingdom you're in or, or regardless of which city you're in, you need something. You need an authority. Life doesn't work well or right if you don't have an authority. You need to know who's in charge. You need to know what you're following. I mean, we know this, right? In the home, parents, who's in charge? Kids, who's in charge in the home? Come on, Reese, you got to know. I'm like, dad and mom. Dad and mom are in charge in the home. Who's in charge in uh, this country? <laughs> I knew this. The government. Layla, you're not in charge in this country. I'm sorry. I don't know what. You're in charge of something, but not that. I don't. That would be a fun country to live in. Wouldn't want to live in that country. The government's in charge of this country. Whether we like it or not, it's there. Well, who's in charge of this world? Who's the authority in this world? As we're, again, making that juxtaposition between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man and the city of God, the city of man. If the world is the city of man, is the kingdom of man, who is in charge in the kingdom of man? It should be, but it's not. Self. 
humans. We are. We do what was right in our own eyes. You see, here's the thing about being governed by self. It means that we're, we, we don't live our lives as like vigilantes, as sovereign citizens, or as being you know, autonomous from other people. What I'm saying is that we are using the person who's in charge of self isn't that I'm in charge, but it's anything except God. I was thinking about this. This, this is um, nothing new is under the sun. Because the self isn't compared to others, it's compared to God. Think back to the book of Judges. I know, Old Testament book. Book of Judges is a depressing book to read because it just contains judges. And why does a judge come, and come up? Because Israel decides to disobey God. And so you have this moment in Judges where there's 450 years of essentially the nation of Israel rejecting God. I mean, it's one of the bleakest times in the Old Testament history because these individuals decide, oh, I think I know the best way to live. And they'll go run off after some idol or some other way to do. And God looks at them and says, well, what are you guys doing? You're crazy. And so he sends a judge. And normally this guy is some person is some obscure character character that comes on the scene and he says woe to you because you've rejected God's law and he judges the nation of Israel and then they get back in line because they realize through some difficult moment some trial tribulations like oh yeah we have to trust God well inevitably over and over and over and over again in the book of Judges is these individuals turned back to the book of Judges well guess how the book of Judges ends and it kind of describes why the book of Judges is there. It kind of describes what is happening during a 450-year period of Judges. The very last verse in the book of Judges says this. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. How do you get the book of Judges? You allow everyone to do what was right in their own eyes. Proverbs 12:15 says this. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes. See what happens when we're governed by self is not that we're governed by, you know, I'm only going to be governed by what I believe. It's that we allow humanity, we allow anything other than God to govern us. And what, what does that create? Well, it creates chaos. And that's the world we live in. That's what we just have, are, are exposed to on a constant basis and frankly have become numb to. This is what, when, when we do what's right in our own eyes, this is when injustices are being accepted. When sinful lusts are being held in high esteem. When natural functions are being exchanged for the unnatural. When the chief end of man is not to glorify God, but is the pursuit of power and pleasure at the cost of everything else. When we do what's right in our own eyes, talk of God and his law has become shameful in some parts and illegal in others. When we do what's right in our own eyes, when we follow after the law of self, it is chaos because we have no standard, no authority. As I was studying for this, a, a, a story from my childhood popped in my head. I'm gonna, it, it was a funny story. It happened on a Sunday afternoon. My family, as I was young, I, don't exact, I th- think I was probably like 10, 10 or 11, driving home from church. And... Um, we had the same meal every single Sunday afternoon. We had spaghetti with garlic bread every single Sunday afternoon for hundreds of Sundays. My family, parents, still can't cook spaghetti without it sticking together. I've told them to that to their face, so I'll say it publicly. Every single Sunday, we had spaghetti with garlic bread. And every single Sunday was chaos. Because parents, isn't it chaos sometimes around the dinner table? 
like kids aren't listening and stuff's being spilled and plates are being broken. I mean, we had three siblings, so there's four of us. It was mass chaos. Well, at some point, my parents thought the grand idea to show us that of just how crazy we were was they said, okay, kids, this lunch, the roles are being reversed. We're going to be the kids. You're going to be the adults. You got to cook the meal. You got to set the table. You have to manage it. We all had like our individual seats of where we sat at the dinner table. So I sat in my dad's seat and one of my sisters sat in my mom's seat and my parents sat across the table. And this meal was chaos. I mean, there was garlic bread being thrown across the table. Marinara was like splattered on the wall behind us. I mean, I, it was just, it, my parents just stretched how crazy we had been to the nth degree. And at the end of the meal, because they were the kids, what did they do, parents? Walked out of the room and expected us to clean it up. When the proper authorities aren't in place, when we're not following the people that we need to follow, mass chaos ensues. This brings us to John 7. Really, this is in the section we're going to look at today. Jesus is highlighting how Israel, the Jews, had lost sight of the proper authority. I mean, you might be wondering up to this point. I'm thinking, I've been describing this like this mass hysteria when the authorities are off. And we're about to um, compare this to a very religious time period. Well, even if it is wrapped in the the religiosity of the day, if you're not going back to the proper authority, if you don't have the right foundation, mass chaos ensues. I want to read for us our section. We're going to be in John 7, 14 through 24. It says this. I got 15 minutes to get through a lot. Now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? Now the crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all, you all marveled at it. Jesus, or Moses gave you circumcision, not that it was from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. And if on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, you are angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a whole body well? Do not judge by appearance, but judge with right judgment. There's one question that these Jews started their accusations with. And it came the moment that Jesus started teaching at this feast. Now, what happened was that, again, his brothers wanted to have him come up publicly. They wanted the fanfare. They wanted like a precursor to the triumphal entry where he walks in and goes, look, Jesus is here and he's going to teach all these things. Jesus didn't go up to this feast that way. He went up silently and he positioned himself in the temple. Now, in the temple, around the temple courtyard, rabbis would go up there and use it as a place of teaching. So to see somebody teach in the temple was not, obscure was not unique but all of a sudden Jesus started to attract this large crowd all of a sudden people started listening to Jesus teach in the temple and they were going wait a second this doesn't 
sound normal. There's probably some comparison going on. Jesus, what you are saying and what that other guy over there on the corner is saying is different. And the question that they have is very simple. Where did your teaching come from? Or the other way to ask that, who gave you the authority to say what you're saying? I mean, we can see this in 14. How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? You want to know what they were looking for? They're essentially what they're asking? Jesus, what's your credentials to say these things? I need to know where you graduated from. I need to know what your degree is in. I need to know who was your mentor. I need to know what books you have read. I need to know who also agrees with these things. It sounded so unique to them, so new to them, that their first thought was, I've never heard another rabbi say this. Prove to us that we can believe these things. How is it that this man has learning? Whose authority are you speaking from? Where did your teaching come from? I mean, it is, it, they, they were just about ready to start to tear him apart because his teaching seemed so new and because they couldn't agree with it. Well, if you can't agree with it, what do you do? You just tear it apart. Imagine if you asked this question, where did your teaching come from before you headed into all of your normal life pursuits? I think it's a good question. Like this seems new. Why should I believe it? It's a good question, but imagine if we started to ask this question about the things that we, we do. Imagine if we ask, well, whose teaching has influenced your worldview? Imagine if I asked you, whose influence has, um, whose teaching has influenced your life habits? Whose teaching has influenced your choices of entertainment and theology and spiritual disciplines and management of money and marriage practices and parenting and etc. I could go through a whole list of who's influencing you. That's really what they're asking. Jesus, who has influenced you to say these things? Because it seems like nothing else that we've heard. It doesn't fit into any of the other normal boxes from these rabbis. Who's influencing you? Whose authority are you following? Jesus' response is one I don't think they ever imagined would come. I think it was, it, it's so countercultural than what, than what um, these people were expecting. Look what it says in verse 16. My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. You see, if I were to ask you what credentials you have to do your job, you're going to give me a list of all of your trainings and there's going to be a bunch of humans in there. There's going to be a bunch of institutions in there. There's going to be a bunch of lists in there. I've studied this way and I've trained here and I've done this. And here's all the pieces of paper that I have. Jesus jumps over all of that and goes, no, my teaching is not mine. It's from him who sent me. Unlike any of the other credentials offered by Jesus' rabbinic contemporaries, his teaching is not based upon a long chain of human tradition. Hear that? Jesus doesn't care about all the other rabbis that came before him. Jesus doesn't care about the guy who he was trained by. No, he jumps over and goes, no, my teaching is from God. It's from him who sent me. This is a very nuanced answer. I want to dig into this slightly because the earlier prophets, like in the Old Testament, when they came on the scene, like the judges, when they came on the scene, what did they say? Thus says the Lord, and then they would deliver their speech. So they would know, okay, the judge is communicating on behalf of the Lord. Jesus gets to be, communicate differently because Jesus doesn't come in and says, thus says the Lord. Guess what he says? I tell you the truth. Why can Jesus say that but the prophets can't? Because Jesus is God. 
Because Jesus is the second member of the Trinity. Because Jesus is the Son of God. Because Jesus is the one who's holding all things together by the word of his power, according to Colossians. Because Jesus is God. So Jesus, when they asked him, who gives you this authority? Where did your teaching come from? Why are you saying these things? Could have said, it comes from me. Because I'm God. But he doesn't say that. No, he humbles himself. The this, this Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, humbles himself and says, oh, it's not mine. It's his who sent me. Even the Son of God says, listen, I am following after the authority of the Father because he sent me. Now, is it his words? Yes, obviously it's his words because he's a member of the Godhead. So this is not saying that he's not God, but he's, he even he is demonstrating the fact of the authority that we have to follow is God, is Yahweh, is the Father. That's who has given me the authority to say these things. It's also interesting. Jesus is demonstrating here that he's not after his own glory. See, when, I can, when, when, when humans communicate things, maybe I, I'll, I'll throw myself under the bus here. When I can, can communicate things, I can communicate them in a way because I want you to think highly of me. I want to communicate something and, and you go, man, Ryan really explained that really well. And now I know that because Ryan explained it. Jesus doesn't care about that. No, here Jesus says, I don't want you to see me. I want you to see God. I, I don't want you to see my authority. I want you to see God's authority. And when you see God's authority, you're going to see what I am saying is true. Because that's how he continues. 17 and 18. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking of my own authority. The one who speaks of his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent me is true in him there is no falsehood. So how can we know that Jesus' teaching is true? Not because it's authenticated by any human tradition, not because it's authenticated by any human individual, not even because it's authenticated by Jesus. It's because it's authenticated by God. If you want to know that it's true... Go look to the source. Go look to the authority. Go trust the one that you need to trust. Go to God and he will show you that it's true. Let's talk about credentials for a moment. Almost every job or subject has this ranking of credentials. I don't know all of the fields that you guys are in, but I am sure that there are some credentials that, that are uh, weighted heavier than others. Like if you're in the culinary business, if you have a Michelin star, whether it's one, two, three, or four, I guarantee you that your knowledge of food is better than mine. And so if I'm cooking something or if the Michelin star chef is cooking something, everyone in this room is going to go, I'm going to trust the dude with the Michelin star. If, you, if there's an acting, you have the Oscars as the, like, the credentials of, look, they have received this prize. If you're writing, you have the Pulitzer Prize. If you have some noble achievement, you have the Nobel Peace Prize. And these are all the standards of greatness that we can all agree upon. Well, for Israel, the standard of greatness that they all agreed upon was Moses. So if you track this line of human tradition back, really what they wanted them to say is who gave you the authority? The, the chief end all be all stamp, like seal of approval was Moses told me to do this. And they go, oh, well, if Moses said it, it has to be right. Jesus 
points out that their credentials were way off. Because you can feel the criticism and, 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 and pushback coming because Jesus is saying, you question my credentials while you hide behind the law of Moses. You think that I'm off? Well, I'm about to show you how you are off, which is why he goes on to this next part. Because in my mind, I'm like, where'd Moses come from? Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? Now, at this point, to the just normal bystanders, no one was thinking about killing him. They were like, whoa, wait a second. We were just wondering where your credentials came from. No one said anything about stoning. That was the normal people sitting in front. The guys in the back, they had thought about stoning at this point. And so the crowd says, because if you hear something crazy, what do you say? Well, do you have a demon? Essentially, this is saying like, you are absolutely crazy, man. That is not something a normal person would say. You have a demon who is seeking to kill you. But Jesus answered them. You see, he took them back to a previous episode. A previous moment when he was interacting with the religious authorities. And he says, I did one work. And you all all marveled at it. Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it was from Moses, but it was from the Father. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. And if on a Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be, be broken. But yet, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a whole, I made a man's whole body well? What are you talking about, Jesus? If you look back at John 5, some commentators actually believe that it was the very last um, episode in the chronological history of John that, that, that six was placed in here not because it happened in a chronological order but because John wanted to put it in there for kind of a theological thought but if you go back to John 5 1 to 17 what you see is Jesus healing a lame man and you might go hey Jesus is healing a lame man somebody who had not walked in years, in decades, and he was healed, you might think in your mind, that is amazing. But when you do it on the Sabbath, the amazement of the miracle goes away. The offense of the law-breaking comes forward. And what you see front and center in this whole episode, I'm not going to read it all, but essentially what comes up in verse 10. Now it was on a Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, if It is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. Why are you carrying your bed? I mean, imagine if you were this man. You've been laying on this bed all of your life and wondering when you can finally get up. And Jesus of Nazareth walks walks along and says, get up and take your bed and walk. You're not caring what day of the week it is. You're just caring that you can walk and you take your bed. And the very first religious person you come in contact with says, sir, why are you working because you're carrying your bed? It's not lawful. I mean, it's, in one sense, he's kind of saying, you should lay back down. And he goes, well, I don't know who made me walk, but he said, take up your bed and walk, and I'm going to do that. And what did these religious authorities want to do at that moment? <gasps> Let's kill the lawbreaker. Why? Because the authority for how they live didn't come from what God says. It came from what man said. Didn't come from God. It came from self. We're going to pick back up and continue in this whole uh, thought process next week. But what we see from the very beginning is what Jesus drills down onto in verse 24. Do not judge by appearances. 
but judge with right judgment. Our world is, is filled with individuals judging by appearances. And the person who gets to judge what is right and wrong is us, right? We get to decide the right appearances. We get to decide what is appropriate, what is right, what is true, what is honorable, what is just. We get to be the, the determining factor. And there are things that in this life that if, if, if I got to be the determining factor, I would definitely say this is true. But what Jesus points these people to and what he's going to continue in this whole episode from 7 to 10 is to say, that, listen, the authority that we have to have in our life, the person that we need to listen to, the person that gets to say it's right and true and just is not man, but is God. Which is why when these people go, who gives you the authority to say these things? Who gives you the authority to talk in, in language like grace and mercy and forgiveness? Who gives you the authority to question our religious system of the day and call out the hypocrisy that's in it? Who gives you the authority to look at Moses and the law of Moses and say, maybe we've misinterpreted it. Maybe we're wrongly applying it. Maybe it's off. The answer to all those is God. God does. And it's so easy to minimize the struggle here as we're reading through it because have any of you ever been offended by the day when somebody got circumcised? Have any of you cared about the day when somebody got circumcised? I, I haven't. I hadn't thought about it. I had two girls, so I, that's one of the reasons I didn't think about it. But I hadn't thought about it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't care. But for them... Their worldview, their religious lifestyle, everything was so wrapped up in this. And they were completely offended because somebody looked at them and said, maybe you got something wrong. I read this tweet this morning. Um, I, think, I think the Lord just allowed me to see it because I, you know, I normally don't see tweets, but I saw this one. This is from a pastor here in town by the name of Scott Sauls. Here's what he said. The younger generations are suspicious of biblical ethics. The older generations of biblical justice. Jesus says you must have both if you're going to follow him. Word and deed, grace and truth, love and law, ethics and justice. You must repent and you must remember the poor. Now he's writing this tweet and these words because he's identifying that even in the church there can be this riff. There can be this riff of what are we going to focus on? Are we going to be all about the law of God or are we going to be about grace and mercy? Are we going to be following God to the T and be militant about that? Or are we going to lead with love and grace and, 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 and maybe show compassion first? And I love where Scott goes with this, but I think this is where Jesus goes with this as well. Because the answer to both of those is that we love and we live and we obey not from our standards but from God's standard because the person who gets the authority to say what is right and true and good and bad and and just is not us it's God 
I think this is something that is missing in our world. And I can, I can see this in so many ways because when difficulties arise and they're around us all the time, you can just see how there's, there's no one unifying truth in this kingdom of man. It's this feeling opposed to that feeling, and this worldview opposed to that worldview, and this truth opposed to that truth, and it's just constant fighting. Well, here's the thing. We're never going to find a solution to those differences unless we pick up the word of God and say it is the ultimate authority. Unless as creatures, as humans, we humble ourselves and realize it's not what's right in my eyes. There's definitely things that are right in my eyes. I definitely have um, uh, hard and fast rules and expectations of it should be this way. But it's not what's right in my eyes. Because my eyes are, 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 are stained by my sin. My eyes are torn away to things that aren't good. My eyes have been ruined because of this body of death. But what hasn't been ruined is the word of God. And what is right and true is how he created us to live as his creatures. And so I am more and more convinced that we even in our religious culture can slip into this lie of being of judging people based upon appearances based upon how we feel about things and not about the simple truth of God's word not taking our authority from man but taking our authority from God as we turn our attention towards communion as we do every week This is a moment as creatures that we get to sit and rest in the fact that regardless of the craziness of the world and all of the infighting and even how I believe and even how I feel about things, what I know to be true is that I am right before God, not because of anything I've done or do, but because of what Christ has done. I'm going to give a special explanation to the kids in the room. Because kids, we're about to pass around two objects. The first one's going to be a little piece of bread. Now, if you look at that and you say, ooh, I want some, let me tell you, it doesn't taste all that good. What does that bread signify? That bread signifies Christ's death on the cross for us. You see, we're all sinners, every single one of us, your parents included. We're all sinners. And what that means is that God hates our sin. God has to punish that sin. There's no way around that. I I wish there was. In myself, I wish there was. But, But God can't get around that sin. He has to punish it. The same way that your parents at times have to have to discipline you for your sin. God had to discipline somebody for that sin. So there was either one of two options. The first option was you. And me. And every person individually. But God graciously did not want to do that. Graciously he sent his son. His perfect son. The son that never did anything wrong. Can you imagine that? Never disobeyed their parents. Always cleaned their room. Never talked back. Never had a bad thought. Never lost their temper. Perfect. Sent his son. To live a life of perfection that we all were required to live. Now guess what? If you live a perfect life, you don't deserve deserve any punishment. You don't deserve any retribution. You, You don't deserve any death. You would never be sent to your room. But what Jesus said was, listen. I'll take their punishment. 
And I will satisfy God's anger towards that. Essentially what it says is, God is angry with you for sinning against me. I know I haven't done anything, but I'll, I'll take that. I'll, I'll, I'll go to, essentially Jesus is saying, I'll go to your room for you. I'll be grounded for you. I will pay back what you owe for you. I will take your sin and guilt upon me. And I will take that punishment. And guess what the punishment is? It's death. That's scary, isn't it? Death on a cross. So it's not only is it scary, it's painful. And the most scary and painful part wasn't actually the physical part. It was the spiritual part of God punishing Christ for our sins. And so when we take the bread, that first thing that's going to be passed around, what we are doing is we are remembering that the body that we trust in, the person that we're trusting in, isn't us, isn't our hands, but it's Christ. And then when that second element's passed around, this is the grape juice. It's sometimes better than others depending on the brand we buy. What this signifies is Christ's death for us. Because just like your parents are never going to punish you twice for something you did, God isn't going to punish us twice. And he poured out his full weight of anger, of wrath, that's the, that's the biblical word, onto Christ for our sin. And Christ paid for all of it. The sins that you did yesterday, the sins that you'll do today, the sins that you'll do tomorrow, the sins that you'll do the, the hour before you die. He paid for all of it. So that when we take the cup, we take it to remind ourselves that we are good before God because of Christ's death. Now kids, here's the thing. And in, anyone else in the room that might not believe Jesus as your Savior yet. We don't take this to save us. Because it could be really easy then to think that salvation equates eating bread and drinking the juice. We don't take it to save us. But what we do take it to is to remind us of that salvation. So if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, if, if you don't believe that he's your Savior, if you don't know these words, if you haven't believed the gospel, here's what I would ask. Just let the plates pass you by. No one's going to notice. No one's going to judge you. And then go ask your parents about it. Have a conversation. What's, what is that like? What, what does belief and faith mean? And if you're in the room, even as an adult, and you have not done this, welcome. We're so thankful you're here. I would ask the same. Let it pass you by and then come talk to myself, Brennan, Jeremy, your neighbor, and go, okay, what is this faith that you're talking about? Because I feel like I've been running after self. And I need to run after God. Let's pray. And we can take this together. Lord, help us to place our eyes constantly on you. Help us to live a life that is driven by a love of your law. That is driven by your truth. That is focused not on our, our, on our feelings, but on the facts of the word of God. Lord, help us be a church a people that has both love and law, that is 
is concerned with both truth and grace. That will offer to everyone that we come in contact with the amazing realities of the gospel. Lord, just be with us now as we take your table together. In your son's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation from Community Bible Church. For more information, please visit us at 6005 Edmondson Pike in Nashville, Tennessee, or online at cbcnashville.org.